But but this one I wanted to stay much more in terms of the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. And, and the word clothing is not exactly the right term because, he yes, he has clothing, but the Kohen Gadol also has these other things that he wears that it's not precisely clothing, but it's part of the the vestments. Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the Kohen Gadolship is to have these things. I'll read a little bit and then I'll tell you what was in my head that kind of uh, I had to contend with. So as much as we started talking about a Mishkan, so on the one hand we spoke about the building of the Mishkan and the things in the Mishkan, the the Aaron the and the Menorah and the Mizbeach and, and the, the Mishkan itself, and now it moves over to those who will serve in the Mishkan, Kohanim, which, which, of course, you can ask a question. Hold it. I, I thought that, you know, especially in the Ramban, everything is going in the proper sequence. So what, isn't it the firstborn? Meaning, why are we talking about Kohanim at this point? Weren't they only replaced after the golden calf? Hmm. If we did have a share next week, I would talk about that, but I'm not going to be here next week. Okay. That means that these Kohanim are going to serve, so these are the things that the Kohen, Kohen Gadol, needs to wear. So again, you may or may not have noticed that I didn't translate anything, and that I, I didn't say what anything meant. But I do want to get to where the Torah is going to tell us some of the purpose involved in this. We'll skip to Pasuk 10. <clears throat> Now, whenever we have a list of all 12 tribes, or for that matter, six and six, we're always going to have the same kind of question, which is going to come up, who's included and who's not included, and what's the sequence. And my sense, without getting into the, the sugya, the gemara, the discussion, my sense over here, if he's going to represent all of B'nai Israel, then all of B'nai Israel should be represented, which means, what's the tension? <clears throat> Do we include Levi or exclude Levi? What I mean, right? What happens if Levi gets excluded? Then you have a Ephraim and Menasha. I mean, that's how you get up to 10. So my sense is, is that on the one hand, Levi should be there. And on the other hand, Yosef should be there. Because if Yosef isn't there, even if Yosef gets two portions, it's dead. There's something which is missing from the, the collective. And if this is supposed to be a group which represents the collective, then obviously you would want all of the collective there. So I'm just saying, it's, it, there's just two moving pieces over here. One moving piece is Levi being removed, and the other is Yosef being removed. Of course, Yosef's removal is very different from Levi's removal. Although, if again, if you want to be creative, you can still argue, and you can say that Levi's there, because Levi is there in person, holding the names of the others, and it's okay. But uh, as I said, my sense, my sense was that it should it should have... Yosef and it should have Levi because and, and especially with that with that emphasis Kitoldotam. Yeah. My suspicion my suspicion is that anybody who said Nasa Vinishma was was part. Now where would they be? So that later on that later on was mentioned that you have the Masef Kolamachanot 
that you have done that ev- all the others were were there with done. So again, that we only learn later when we talk about what is going to be the exact formation around the Mishkan. But that that's what it sounds like when, when you hear the, the statement over there. So over here you have this representation of all twelve again kitoldotam. Masecharash, we'll skip a little bit. Shmopen Israel, v'samtet shnei avnim al k'tafota efod, avnezi karon levnei Israel, v'nasa aron et shmotam levnei Hashem al shtei k'tafav lezikaron. So you notice the word zikaron being used twice. Now what's interesting about this is right now we're dealing with something which is on his body, on his torso, and not on his mind. So I would have thought that something which represents Zikaron should somehow be connected to the brain and something, and if there is something on the torso, again, closer to the heart, then it probably should have had some other type of uh, of identity to it. So that, that's just the starting point of what's of what's concerning me. As we move further again in Pasuk of Aleph, we have a similar thing. Over here we're talking about the Choshem Mishpat, Bavanim Tiena al Shmot B'nei Yisrael, Shnei Yisrael Shmotam, Pituchei Chotem Isha al Shmot Tiena l'Shnei Asar Shavit. So again, we have the list of the 12 tribes. V'nasa, Pasuk of Tet, V'nasa Aaron at Shmot B'nei Yisrael B'choshen HaMishpat Alibo. So again, here is the you know, I, I said torso, but here it's even more specific on the heart. By the way, th- those were not the same things. I'm, I'm not getting into it right now, but there was something which is up more towards the shoulder, and there's something which is a little bit further down on the heart. So over here, it says that he's going to wear this Choshem Hashem Tamid. So again, there's this interesting expression that you have Lizikaron, but it's on the heart. So, And, and I know... I'm not going to go so quick and say, oh, this is a mixing of metaphors. You know, I can't get this person out of my heart, right? I I, I can say that. I don't have a problem with that. But nonetheless, I find this emphasis, especially because there's going to be another element that we're going to see in in a moment. And so on. Which is generally this part about the bells and so on is generally not considered at all, but there's also something interesting there, which I'll see if I can get back to, but so this is something which is going to go on the head, and so this is something which is going to be on always, but it's interesting, the word zikaron is not mentioned over here. It did mention something else, which was called ritzoi. So now, he, he, I told you that I had to contend with something. I called it a demon. It's really strong and unfortunate to use that term. So I'll tell you exactly what it is. It was a speech, which later became an essay, which Rav Salavechik gave. So the speech that he gave was in 1940. So 1940, I guess, in terms of Rav Salavechik's speeches is pretty early. So here's a man who's born in 1903, and uh, he arrives in America in the, in the 1930s. And after a number of years there, so at this point in 19, at this point, specifically, he is, he is in Boston. He is considered to be the, the chief rabbi of Boston. He's young. He has his PhD. And there is a confluence of things that take place. And it's very hard 
for me, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a historian, and I didn't dig deep, and listening to people comment afterwards is of less interest, I would have liked to know exactly what was taking place at the time. But on the 5th of Av, that summer, which would be August 25th, 1940, the person who most likely at that moment would have been considered the Gadol Hadar passed away. And that was the unofficial chief rabbi of Vilna. The reason why I say unofficial chief rabbi is that even though the Vilna Gaon never had the title of chief rabbi of Vilna, he never had the title of anything in Vilna. He, he didn't have any title, any job, any anything. The first full-time Kolo member was uh, the Vilna Gaon. And by the way, he was supported by a fund that was put away by his own ancestor. They put the money away for a descendant who would be sitting and learning, and he, he had his money. By the way, the person who managed the fund did not always give him all of the money. And uh, there were some, uh, I mean, all kinds of... But the Vilna Gaon did not have any official job. He didn't take anything from anyone. He had his family money that he... Uh, and by the way, a lot of people say the Vilna Gaon's last name was Kramer. Leo Kramer. No, he had, a, he had a grandfather whose name was Kramer, but his name wasn't Kramer. Kramer is a storekeeper. So the storekeeper Kramer apparently had some money <laughs> and was put away. And uh, he was never called Kramer in his lifetime, only by clever historians today who know, oh, his grandfather was Kramer, so he must have been Kramer, but it's not. Kramer is someone else. And if you know Seinfeld, you know who Kramer is. And this, I can assure you, has absolutely nothing to do with the Vilna Gaon. Okay? Okay? I know. I, I, I skipped a little bit. The Vilna Gaon died in 1797. So from the day that the Vilna Gaon died, it was never seen to be appropriate. Again, as far as I can, I don't know, the next day, the day after, was a it was never appropriate for someone else to be, oh, I'm the chief rabbi of Vilna. You can't be the, the chief rabbi of Vilna. Like, like what, are you, what, are you to, what are you talking about, the chief rabbi of Vilna? So they had other terms, the head of the Beitin. So who was the head of the Beitin who died in 1940? That was Rechaim Ozer Grudzinski. Okay. okay, so Rechaim Ozer was seen to be the absolute Gadol Hadar at the time. By the way, it may be of interest to you that Chaim Moser had a first cousin, I believe first cousin, maybe maybe slightly different, maybe once removed, but I believe it was a first cousin who became the rabbi in Omaha, Nebraska. Oma, you can look up Grudzinski, Omaha, Nebraska. You'll find there was a rabbi Grudzinski there who was, who was who like learned in the same yeshivas and whatever, and he ended up in, he had a steller in Omaha, Nebraska. No, 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 he's no, a Chabad. He's a, no, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not. He lived in Vilna. So he was, he was, again, let's get back and make sure you can all focus now. In, 19, in 1940, in Av, a couple days before Tisha B'Av, the person who's considered the God of Hadar passes away, and it's Chaim Ozukajinsky. Okay, so now he's passed away. In, in America, at that point, probably the most important Orthodox rabbi was a rabbi who lived in Cincinnati. And who would that be? Rabbi Eliezer Silver. Rabbi Lezer Silver, who was a huge Talmud Chacham and a character. He was, uh, he, he, again, a lot of what emerges in America afterwards in terms of the establishment, he, protecting Kashrut laws and other, I mean, he was involved in a lot of this. Again, great deal of charisma. And, uh, and again, Talmud Chacham, everything you know, that you would want. He was once and called in, in a, I believe it was a Senate subcommittee to testify. And I think it was about something about Contras. And for the record, state your name, Eliezer Silva. And who are you? So he was arguably the greatest, the greatest rabbi in America and Canada. He would always say, and Canada, right? In America and Canada. And then the response was, Rabbi, that's not very modest of you. He goes, I'm under oath. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Okay. <laughs> Cincinnati, well, a bunch of places, Harrisburg, but 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 he uh, but he ends up in uh, in Cincinnati, which will now will explain why something then happens in Cincinnati, not 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 all that much afterwards. So I'm reading now, right now, it's an old journal which is called Hapardes. You can find them online, although this one was not there. This one was the, the one that I wanted is not. There, I don't know why I had to find it someplace else, but there's a thing called Hebrew books that has lots and lots of the old uh, journals. But in Hapardes, and I'm reading from year 14, Choveret Vav. It's not, you don't have it. You, yeah. you can look, but you don't have what I'm reading from. And it writes, Biom Hay to Bet, which means Thursday till Monday, they made a convention. Knisa Hashnia Shal Agudas, I had to read Agudas, I couldn't say Agudat, Shal Agudas Yisrael, Cincinnati, Ohio. So now, if you want to know why the second annual convention of the Aguda in 1940 is in Cincinnati, Ohio, it's because the head of the Aguda lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. So if you live in Cincinnati, okay, everybody come to Cincinnati. And it says that on the days of Biom Hay to Bed, Yud Chet to Kav Bed, Menachem Av, Hit Kaima HaKnisa Shniya Shal Guda Yisrael, Cincinnati, Ohio. HaKnisa Niftacha Bihit Orurut Tfilah V'Tachnunim. It started with with prayers and with uh, pleas, he'd liku ner nishama, and they lit a ner nishama, l'zikaron nishmat, hagon, rabban she Yisrael, maran, rab Chaim ozer, zeichet tzadik, and so on and so forth. Echad mimirishone miyastea gudi Yisrael. So again, a gudi Yisrael, he's one of the founders of gudi Yisrael, and here is, uh, and here they having a convention, hid palum and chav, and nemru tefillah, v'tachonim, kapitel tehillim, you want to know which ones, kaf and kuf bet, from Brooklyn. So the Novominsk Rebbe, he's the one who uh, who said the Tehillim, and and that's how they started off their convention. I can actually give you a day by day, session by session, what took place by the convention. But I'm supposed to talk about Parsha Tetzaveh, and somebody may at some point accuse me of uh, of deliberately. Moving, uh, <laughs> m- m- moving on the side, but it, now it says as follows: Beknisiazo at this particular convention, Hishtatef Achad Miyichideskula, one of the incredible individuals, Michel Shelit Gaonei Hayichus Yisrael, somebody who comes from the most illustrious of families, Hagon Hagadol Isha Eshkalot. The incredible, you know, not just regular, Gon Hagado, the great, the great sage, the man of all kinds of skill, Ish Eshkalot, somebody who, who possesses all abilities. Ruchulabe, Harav Yosef Dov, Halevi Salavechik Shlita, Ha'av Beit into Boston. Harav Yosef Ber Salavech, Nimna Lachaver, Laguda Israel. He is on the Agudas, uh, on, on the board. Benivchar, Liyoshev Rodvad, Hapoel Hamerkazi, Lakol Ha. Medina, and he was, in, and he's now on the on the board of the national board. Who Mahavek Koach Gadol Yisrael? This is an incredible thing that Yisrael got such a person. V'davar Gadol Asab is a Harakoach Torah Yerushato, and he showed his power in Torah. What he inherited, Mizik No Hagona Amiti Sar Torah, Rash Bagahag, which means the greatest rabbi, his grandfather, Harav Chaim Halevi, Mibrisk. Asher Hayyimi Mastea Agud Yisrael, and and Reb Chaim was one of the founders. Nechdo Hagon of Yosef Dov Salavechik Shlita Asher Kibel Derech Hatara Mizikne Hagon. He has inherited 
his grandfather's approach to learning, as he has shown by his incredible lectures, with his ability to show depth and explanation, as he showed in the Yeshiva. By the way, at that point, he's not in YU yet. Something's going to happen very soon that he's going to get to YU. But uh, at this point, he has Yeshiva in Boston, which is called Yeshiva Hechel Reb Chaim Halevi. And there were two rabbis working there. One was the Rav, and the other was his cousin, Rav Yechiel Michal Feinstein, who was Rav Moshe's nephew. And Kibel Gam Misurat Avot B'chaim HaPolitim, and he also has inherited his family's approach to politics, Lagain B'cherv Nefesh Al Kodshe Yisrael, and he's inherited from his grandfather his political and his and his ability and his Torah and his fear of God. And he, again, playing on the word Yosef, he has inherited this ability in terms of, you know, every, he, every single possible uh, thing. Now, why why did I just now waste your time other than I think that it's interesting and ultimately as long as as long as I'm in charge so then I, I could uh, I, I could I could say whatever I want so Yom Aleph Be'erev on Sunday night we're skipping a lot of what happened beforehand but just to see the names of the people that were there it, it is really quite interesting because everybody's there that, that's really part of it everybody's there Rav Moshe's there every, I'm just saying every, everybody is there it says that Yom er, Yom Aleph Be'erev. So finally, on Sunday night after Shabbat, it talks about how the Shabbat was and, and everything. And after Shabbat, it says, "Lebechi lemisbeid alekach meitanu hadon halokim hanezer v'mada hagon amiti rashbahag marana Rav Chaim Ozer." So now this session is dedicated to Rav Chaim Ozer. It says they, they again they lit an air neshama and again they said to Hilim this time Tet Zayin and Kuf Membet pasuk be pasuk. And And then Rabbi Lezer Silver got up and he started to describe the loss. Somebody else who had been a student says something, and then we get to the main event, and the main event was Rav Soloveitchik gave a hesped. So Rav Soloveitchik in the whole place, he was the one. Now, I'm just going to give a little bit more of the history and then I'm going to have to get back to our learning. Um, I've heard Rav Schechter refer to this a couple of times, that the Rav used to come to uh, to Vilna for week When he was learning in Berlin, he used to come to Vilna for weekends every now and again, and he would hang out with, uh, with Rav Chaim Moser. So I actually looked at how long it would take by train today to go from Berlin to... Uh, from from Berlin to Vilna, and it's around eighteen hours. I, I'm, not, I'm not so convinced how often someone would do that for a weekend. Yeah, like you could fly to New Zealand or something <laughs> in less time. So so I'm not so sure how much he actually went, but I can say is that his parents no longer are there. 
especially before he gets married. So he is really alone in Europe. So who does he hang out with? So he goes to Vilna. Who can he talk to? He could talk to Chaim Ozer. Now, a couple more things are of Chaim Ozer, and then we'll get to the main point. Chaim Ozer was an incredibly exceptional individual. From some of his chuvot, you come to this realization that he probably didn't have any time to learn after he was, pick the age, 15, 16, 17 years old, and everything that he knows, he learned beforehand, and he knows everything. And Rav Salavechuk would tell over the story a number of times that he would sit and work all week or all month on a thing, and he would learn, he would work everything out, he'd come to Chaim Ozer, say it over, and Chaim Ozer would point at the shelf, pull out a book, and say, yeah, he wrote that. And, and whatever it is he would say, that, that Rav Chaim Ozer always knew, and he said it was very frustrating. Like you sit and you learn, Rav Chaim Ozer knows it already, and can tell you who already said it before you. So the, the, there was a mentorship. I can say another thing is that when the Rav did get married, Rav Chaim Ozer was his Masada Kedushin. Okay? And, the, and there was certainly a relationship. Again, how strong to put a mentorship, whatever. They, I did see quoted at one time they talked about the Zionist Congress and uh, talk about the possibilities of having a, a, a country, a Jewish country, land of Israel. And Chaim Moser, who was known for his political acumen as well, not just his Torah, he turned his hand over and he said, you know, the same odds of hair growing on your palms were the odds of ever having a, a, a Jewish country in in Israel. He says he says it's just not going to happen. Like he goes P- politically, this can't happen. So some of you may know that that's not how it worked out. So now l- l- let me get to the point of all of this, and that is I have the entire Hespid. Actually, that's not fair. There's at least three different versions of the Hespid. One version is what he actually said. I don't know if in his notes, if the Rav had left his version of it. I know it was published in one of the Rav's books down the line, and there it started at a particular place and it ended at a particular place. In Harpardes, in the next journal, it said, here's a synopsis of what he said. So I have the, the synopsis is bigger than what's published in the Rav Sefer, and it, it starts earlier and it ends later, so there's a bit more... What can I say? But but why uh, now? Let's focus. Why are we here? Because the topic, or at least the way that, and, and this you do have in in your in source number fifteen, and we called it Hatzitzvah Hachoshen. So that's a little small, and I don't know how well you can read it. <laughs> yeah, but but over here somehow it did get bigger. So Shnei Bigadim Mi Bigdei Kohen Gadol Hudgeshu Biyoter Biyachas Lotu Odatam Ayidei Hakatuv. Hatzitz v'achoshen. Among all the things the Kohen Gadol would wear, there were two things which really were exceptional, and one is the tzitz, and the other is the choshen. Hatzitz, v'asita tzitzahav, kadosh l'ashem, v'ya al-metzach ha'aron, v'nasa aron et avon ha-kadoshim ha-shayakdishu b'nei Yisrael, l'kol matanot kedoshayim, v'ayu ha-mitzchot tamid ha-retzon l'vnei Hashem, which we saw. Ha-choshen, v'nasa aron et ha-shem ha-bnei Yisrael, v'choshen mishpad, al-libo, b'vol ha-kodesh and again, one thing which is interesting, they flip the order around from the way that they were actually presented in the Pesukim. forgave all kinds of things that were tamay. Hatzitz haya kolonu kadosh la'ashem. Hatzitz haya natun ametzach shalaron keneged merkaz hasechel vahadat. Hachoshen haya lev aron merkaz ahava vachiba li Israel. 
So let's translate a little bit. So what he just now did is that he moved to the location of the two, that one is on the, one is on the head, head generally would be intellect, the other is on the heart, heart is generally going to be emotions, and he says, therefore, the tzitz is dealing with the, with the, with the mind of Aaron, Sechel Vedat, and the Choshen on the lave of Aaron, which is the place of love for Israel. And therefore, the names of all the tribes, that's why, again, that point of all-inclusive, everyone has to be there. The tzitz would be posek questions of things allowed and not allowed. Now, that whole sentence over there, I don't know if one word of that is correct. But what he did is he, again, if there's something which eluded me, then I apologize. I just don't know that that's what the tzitz was really for. The tzitz was, as we saw, what it says. It's for tum'ah, and it brings about ritzui. Over here, he's using it in terms of all things that, all Tuma and Tahara, and as a rabbi would paskin in those areas. But what would the Choshen? Go to war or not. Essentially, he turned all of this into political questions. Which means politically, is this something? Do we go to war? Not go to war? And, and these are questions. Do we have a rally? Do we protest? All political questions. So essentially, he now moved that sits into all areas of intellect and things which are pure Torah, and then the Choshen of all areas which are political, which are a different type of a question. And so on and so forth. And again, now he's going to brilliantly explain how the heart of the Kohen would be the realm of all of these things. And I'm not going to read the rest of it. I do invite you to. And if you want, I can send you a much bigger uh, version of it. At the, there's this other section at the very bottom, which is on the right side, Yeshna Igeret Echad, Mi Anshe Rhinos, Lekadmon Echad. I also searched for this and could not find this. Shela Behilchot Trefa Veshelat Biyachas Lemeshiach Hasheker. That there was two questions asked of the same rabbi. One was a question, is this thing kosher or not? And the other was a question about somebody who apparently was a false messiah. Shte Shelot Halalu Kruchot Zu Bazud Vukot Muchabrot Heina. They were both asked in the same question to. This rabbi, the person who had the acumen to be able to answer the halacha question also knew how to answer this much larger, we can, and he would be calling it a political question. Somebody knows about the kashrut of the lungs. Also knows how to paskin regarding is the redemption coming. Also 
And he then went on in, in this hesped to say that in this world we you know have lo- there seems to be a lack of respect for the rabbi who's the big Talmud Chacham and maybe think that someone else knows a little bit more politically and somebody else understands more. And what his whole argument over here is how the tzitz and the choshen are together on the Kohen Gadol. Now, if you're not understanding what's going on, Rav Salvechus just now gave one of the most eloquent and brilliant arguments in favor of Das Torah which essentially is that all questions need to be asked of the rabbi. The rabbi is the one who knows the halacha, and he's therefore going to be the one who's going to have this ability. He's going to, he's going to have this kadosh l'ashem. He's going to have the, the choshen, the urim v'tumim. He is the urim v'tumim. So therefore, he knows magically everything that to, everything to do. Now, again, what's really interesting is here's Rav Salvechik, before the age of 40 years old, who is at a Aguda convention, arguing the Aguda line, in terms of Das Torah. By the way, he later on told people who asked that he never heard of the of the concept of Das Torah before he came to America. That in Europe, nobody ever, you never heard of it. There's also what to say that Das Torah was created, and I'm, I may be guilty of overstating my argument, but it was created and utilized in order to show that the religious Zionism or Zionism generally did not have authority. And that, then, therefore, the person who is the biggest Talmud Chacham, he's the one who knows when, you know, if it's time to go back to Israel, not time to go back to build a Jewish state, not to build a Jewish state, to force God's hand, whatever that would mean, and so on. But I'm saying what's really interesting is Rav Soloveitchik is there, and, and he was close to Abraham Ozer, and he is, and he was a phenomenal speaker. Again, there's other descriptions of what happened that weekend, how he lit up the room, and everybody was following him around. He was very charismatic. Do you remember, or are you uh, not really? Yeah, yeah. So he was very, very charismatic, and he was, uh, and again, he was able to get up in front of five thousand people and be absolutely spellbinding. And those of us who knew him in English were told English. I mean, that's not his first or second or third language. I mean, in Yiddish, he really was his uh, was his uh, ability to speak, and, and and he and he was a phenomenal speaker. And clearly, he was very, very smart man. But in, in a certain sense, I want to go back to what I said from the beginning. My almost default think thought process about the tzitz and the choshen went back to this essay, which I had known for years and years and years. And then I started to go back and to think a little more critically. And that this, of course, will be an act of deconstruction and say, hold it. Is that really true? Is this really true? Is that? And it's, it's, it's this great overstatement. By the way, if the Rav eventually moves over to the Mizrahi, and, and which is very much a post-Holocaust, late 40s, 1950s moves over to the Mizrahi, and there's lots of different ways to uh, understand it. But it could be that he felt that uh, that the way that religious Zionism was handling certain things was the correct way, and uh, and it doesn't mean that his religious Zionism, religious Zionism of, of, of any and or, or any other person, but he he aligned himself there. I, I do want to say one more thing. It's also interesting that. Not long after this, there will be two tragic deaths, which almost could destroy YU. They lost their Rosh Hashiva and they lost their president. The Rosh Hashiva was his father, Rav Moshe Soloveitchik, and the president was Dr. Revel. And Rav Soloveitchik put himself up as candidate for both positions. That very much follows this, is that, no, the same person should be the Rosh Hashiva, should be the president, and uh, and he's ready to, to run everything. And, no, he, 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 by the way, he almost didn't get either. They didn't want they they didn't want to give him to be Rosh Hashiva because they thought he was uh, he was too uh, much with the Aguda he was too much and by the way the Aguda is fighting for him to get the job so you know why you did they hired him but 
almost didn't give him a salary. And they said, sure, you can work here. We'll try you out for a year. But by that point, it was uh, obvious. But he was very lucky that he didn't get the presidency because I think his life and things would be very different. But I'm just saying is that that desire to do both, I think, goes back to this speech of saying that, no, it's the, the same source. And eventually he, he backs down. And you could find all kinds of letters and all kinds of expressions subsequently when he's asked to become chief rabbi of Israel. He says, no, I'm just a teacher. I don't know these other realms. I can't do these other things. But the other thing is, if you look at some of the speeches that he gave to the Mizrahi, and that, that's in a book in English, The Rav Speaks. Originally it was the, the four drashot, and it was in Yiddish, and then or, and you could find it, and then it became uh, the five drashot. And, and originally there were four, now it's five. I think now there's even more. They found more now also. And uh, one of them is Yosef and the Brothers. And it is an absolutely anti-Das Torah speech and then essay by saying, yeah, the big tzaddik, and then, but, but God passed against them. They were wrong. And, 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 and again, the Holocaust weighs very heavily on this. But I, I do now want to go back. And again, I just showed you one way that this Tzitz and the Choshen is taken. And I don't, when I say that I have a hard time with this, I, I think Rav Soloveitchik in subsequent years would not necessarily have signed off on everything that he said over there. And it's it's interesting. It's not just that to the Agud, he was, that's who he was at that particular point. And that's that, that's the way they had seen the world. What's interesting, it says that, he, that he's following his family's footsteps. His father was much more in, in, with the Zionists than, uh, than his grandfather was. and uh, And his father suffered a lot by this. That his father went to America may have been because he couldn't get a real proper job in Europe and he had to move over. He ended up being in a place, again, I don't want to do too much of the history, he ended up being in a place that uh, that he was marginalized. And in America, he, then he became a Rosh Hashiva, but tragically he died uh, He died relatively young and uh, and, and nobody saw it coming. And, and, and therefore, Soloveitchik felt that he had to take the place and, and he does. But, excuse me, no, no, Norv Silver is, is a little different. He takes the place of his father. So, Let's go back to where of his father, as Rashiv and Wayu, Rav Moshe Salvage. So now, now let's try to get back and try to make sense out of uh, some of these things. One is that I want uh, so so. So it's interesting because that we actually touched last week. It means acceptance. From the words of its own, accepted from God, which essentially means Vayel Metzah. You want to go to that last pasuk in source one, the last pasuk Lamechet, the last verse in source one. Vayel Metzah Aron V'Nasaron Et Avon Hakadoshim Asher Gdishu Bnei Yisrael L'Kol Matanot Kodshayim Vayel Metzchol Tamid L'Ratzon L'Pnei Hashem. Essentially, what that verse says is that if something got messed up in the bringing of a kohen, bringing of a korban, then there will nonetheless be Ritzoy, nonetheless the Korban is going to be accepted. So I, I, I want to back up and look at source number two for a second. Source number two is last week, Truma, build the Mishkan, but right away, build the build the Aaron, on the Aaron, put the Kruvan, on the Kruvan, put... And then we're told, So Lucha will be inside, the kruvim and the whole covering of the ark. So, you know, as much as I can then try to put an argument for the tzitz and the choshen and God communicate, we have a different apparatus whereby the halacha really, or God's speech really can be articulated. That, and, and that has nothing to do with the Kohen or Kohen Gadol per se. That has to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. 
This is how God speaks to Moshe. So I would say, presumably, what does God say to Moshe? Well, a lot of the things that Rav Soloveitchik put into the Tzitz and the Choshen could have been there, but I also want to show you something else where where this eventually goes. Because you could say to me, yeah, that's true when there's Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu is Av the Nevi'im. So therefore Moshe Rabbeinu receives the prophecy. But what happens, what happens subsequently? So I'm going to read to you something in the Kuzari, and then we'll look at what Rav Cook did with it, and then we'll see something in the Rambam, and I'll tell you something else about that. Look at source number two. Sorry, just source two. Look at source number three, <coughs> the Kuzari. Omar HaChaver, Toratenu Kshura Ba'alacha L'Moshe Misinai, the Torah has its source at Sinai and or it has its source from Zion. And as I said, you can read the rest of that section, but look at Rav Kook in source number four. Shitata Kuzari, Hidulo Tasur Midoraita, this idea that you have to listen to the rabbis, by the way, that would go back to this, if you want a datari, you have to listen to the rabbis. That's only, it's not any rabbi. That's not any rabbi existed in history. That's only the power of the Sanhedrin who you need to listen to. But why? Why do they have that authority? So first of all, you could just say, because that's authority. You get authority. So, right? First of all, when the Torah talks about Lotus, it says that place, it's connected to the place. And the point is, is that there is this understanding that the Beit in Hagadol has Ruach HaKodesh. Who do you have Ruach HaKodesh? It's that that's part of being by the Beit HaMikdash. And again, I may have touched this last week when I talked about the Sulam, and the Sulam is up, and the prayers go up, and the, or the angels go up, uh, angels come down. But again, what, what he's saying is that by the Beit HaMikdash, we have a place of Avoda, but we also have a place of a Beit HaGadol that has its special status, and part of that special status is that the, that court somehow has Ruach HaKodesh because God gets involved in history and God has a will about what and how things should be practiced and therefore God gives this inspiration to the people that are there. And he's saying, and that's why you have to listen to them because Dafka in that place. So therefore, yes, like the Kuzari had said, it's by Sinai and it's by Tzion. So therefore, it's Dvar Hashem Yushalayim. What made it Dvar Hashem we say, again, that's shot in the Pasuk, is that God gives that kind of uh, of uh, inspiration. So, and I will read the Rabbah in a second, but now you realize that by claiming that all of this was part of, you know, any rabbi at any time, you know, or let's say the God of Hadar is going to have this ability of, of all political understanding and all this, so that, that in a certain sense, what, what's the term they use today? A judicial overreach? Is, is claiming all kinds of abilities which are not necessarily which are there. Although, again, you can argue that God has will and God's will is going to take place. But the, but let me put it differently. Rav Salvatio was quoted in subsequent years as saying, oh, somebody would ask him a military question. A general has to deal with a military question. 
know, a rabbi doesn't have that ability to be able to uh, to know what how you, you you have a medical problem. You do you go to a rabbi, you go to a doctor. So you go to a doctor, you have a medical problem. It could be it could be that if you go to a doctor and the doctor says, listen, here the here you know you you could take you could have this dangerous surgery, and if it works. You know, then this, or you can have this other thing, and there's different. So then maybe you could go to a rabbi and say, "Hello, here are my choices over here. How do I approach my choices?" But that's not the same thing as the as the rabbi doing the diagnosis and telling you, "Oh, just drink this water and you'll be fine, and don't uh, and you don't need any kind of." Uh, so I'll say, so I'll say it again. So I'll say it again. Rav Salvechik was very clear about this. You go to doctors, you go to professionals, and again, it could be that a rabbi then will have what to say, but not that. He has this urim vitumim on him that any question which is posed to him, he automatically has this divine inspiration and knows the and knows the answer to these things. So again, I'm 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 going to call this this the I know that there's this whole political and interesting religious background, which is the reason why I went there with you know what exactly is this sits in the choshen and where does it take us? So let's um let, let's again try to get a little bit further. The Rambam in source. Eventually, not, 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 was he in favor or against Das Torah? Well, he st- spoke very strongly in terms of Reb Chaim Oz's Das Torah, right? But then, at some point, when he moves away from the Agud and he moves towards Mizrahi, he moves away from that and he says, "Listen, just because they have, just because the great Tamid there doesn't mean that they were right in terms of uh, politics." And, and he said further, he said, "God paskened against." God is the ultimate one who decides, and he and he didn't decide like they decided, and therefore, uh, you look one of the very difficult conversations, which can get you into a fight if you have to, is to say that the vast majority of the rabbis in Europe before the war were saying to stay in Europe. So again, that's what's so interesting about the Chamesh Drashot. In one of the first Drashot, there he says that the mistake, and and he turns into Yosef and the brothers. He said that the brothers, which are the other rabbis, who are great tzaddikim and great rebbe's and great, he goes, they judge the future through the lens of the past. He goes, what we've done in the past is what we'll do in the future. And Yosef judged the future through the future. And Yosef was the dreamer and saw the future, and they only saw their past. And the past is in Europe. We're going to stay in Europe. And Yosef sees that we're going to become farmers, and we're going to be planting, we're doing other things, and Yosef sees the future. And God, Paskin like Yosef. So that was a very, again, just to realize that in context now, that is a very anti-Das Torah approach, but you don't realize who, who he's attacking. Who's he attacking? He's attacking Rabbi Yosef Salavechik from 1940. He's attacking his own position that he had articulated so eloquently. So I'm saying that's what's really interesting. This whole speech of the Tzitz on the Choshen, he's really attacking this in his later uh, in his later talk. So as I said, that's that that becomes that be, yeah that that becomes very in, very interesting. In source number five, the Rambam, and this is the Rambam in Hilchot Sanhedrin, writes Kovim b'tchila beitin agadol b'mikdash. And Moshe then sits with them. So that, that is, you know, perhaps the original. Then he continues and he talks about the head of the Sanhedrin subsequently. And he writes, and he's the one who sits in the place of uh, Moshe, which is also so. Rambam didn't have to go that far. So you could argue here that the Rambam maybe agrees with the Kuzari when it comes to the Beit in Agado, which was in Yerushalayim. Then you somehow have 
I'll even say Bezer Anpin, just to make people happy on a microcosm, but it's still the power of Moshe Rabbeinu, in a sense, and therefore, Kimitzi on Tetzetot, Varashem Yerushalayim, that there's still Dvar Hashem. Now, that doesn't mean that you listen to the majority of rabbis outside of the Beit Yenagadol. So, again, there's two points. One is authority, and the other point is actually substance. Those are not the same. Authority versus, I'll tell you exactly, authority versus substance. Do I listen to the Beit Yenagadol because they have the authority, or do I listen to the Beit Yenagadol because it's Dvar Hashem? <laughs> right? Is it Dvar Hashem because he gave them the authority, or is it Dvar Hashem because God is telling them what to do? That's really, really different. I know, but is it because, are you listening to Beit Yenagadol because God said listen to the Beit Yenagadol? Simon says, or are you listening to the Beit Yenagadol because it's Dvar Hashem Yerushalayim? And God's, God is communicating with them still. By saying that he's in the place of Moshe Rabbeinu, that's a very powerful uh, statement. I, I, I would like to believe that most people don't believe that they're sitting in Moshe's seat, right? That, but just one second. One, just one second. And what I'm saying is, I think that the Rambam, I could force it into, I don't know how much I'm forcing, into what Rav Kook understood from the Kuzari that God gives Torah to Moshe at Sinai, and God gives Torah in Yerushalayim. Not just a question of authority, quite the other way around. Why do they have the authority? Because it's Dvar Hashem. Because God, meaning, because there is Mahut, because there's essence as well, and God is communicating. No, 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 but I'll say it again. Yes, God gives the authority. But is it just simply that I have to listen because God said, listen to the majority, or is God still communicating and telling them what it is that they should be doing? Which means there's no prophecy, there's no prophecy, but I'm going to now ask you again, what do those words mean? Ki mitzion Torah, udvar Hashem, Yushalayim. So is it dvar Hashem, because God is still communicating, that's what the Kuzari strength, that's what he emphasized. Now, again, does every single rabbi have that ability? You know what? Subjectively, really, totally subjectively, I think there's lots and lots of rabbis who will tell you that when they're answering questions, they have this, you know, you happen to pull one book off the shelf. Look, somebody asked me a question last Shabbos, right? I went to shul in a different, I went to shul for Mincha in a different shul, pull a book off the shelf, open it up, and it's the answer to his question. Right, just opened up to that page. It's the answer to the question. I took a picture. I sent it to him, and he goes, "Oh, that's great." I said, "I just want you to know, it was totally random <laughs> that I was there. Random, I pulled that book off. Random, I opened up to that page, and uh, that, there's the answer to the question." There, there's a there's a great story with the No de Behuda. The No de Behuda was a, a, at that point a candidate to become the rabbi of Prague, and Prague had lots of Talmidei Chachamim who thought a lot about themselves. And they all wanted to give this candidate, you know, give him a hard time to see, you know, how up he is and how good he is and how much he can answer. So one of them then asks a question, which is essentially an impossible question to answer. And the note be listens to the question and he says, let me ask you one thing. He goes, I don't know the answer, but let me ask you one thing. I don't know. But let me ask you, is this a real question or did you make it up? So the guy said, I made it up. He goes, ah, I thought so. He goes, why? He said, because whenever I get a real question, I feel some kind of divine inspiration. I know the answer. Because God gives answers to Klai Israel. But God doesn't give answers for my ego. <laughs> Which means, when it comes to my reputation, God doesn't care about my reputation. But God cares about Klai Israel. So therefore, I felt that I was just totally blank. had no idea whatsoever. So that's why I felt that you made it up. And I have no idea of the answer. That, that, that is so interesting. But I, I'm going to say, I understand that completely. 
I understand the Nod Yehuda completely. He's saying when when, when there's you, you need to answer something. So then Kadosh Baruch who's going to help you because because uh, Klal Yisrael needs an answer. You you can't just not. But if just somebody wants to give him a hard time, no Kadosh Baruch Hu didn't want to protect him. L- let, let's again try try to make a little bit more progress. And uh, I don't want you to completely con- be convinced that didn't, we didn't learn anything today. Um, in, in source number six. The Ramban speaks about the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. This Ramban is important more than anything else because he calls the clothing of the Kohen Gadol really clothing of, uh, of royalty. The royal colors, the royal purple, the royal blue, and so on. He also makes a reference to Yosef, to the coat of many colors. I don't know if you ever thought about the Kohen Gadol's clothing as a coat of many colors. I discussed this more in my other share I gave this week, and we're going to leave that. In Pasuk Lamed, which is halfway down the line there, in the a little less than halfway, in the Ramban, he uh, he starts talking about the Urim Vitumim. First of all, he quotes the Ibn Ezra, where it's bold. He wanted to be very clever. And you you know that this is not, that sentence is not going to end well when you start like this. He he ends up, Right? He didn't say anything. Uh, essentially, Ibn Ezra sees the Urim tomb in terms of uh, an ability to discern and decipher astrological reality based on astrology. And the Ramban does not love astrology. The, the Ibn Ezra did. And uh, he thinks that the Urim Vitumim was something which were divine. Which, because he, he'll note in the rest of this paragraph here, it doesn't say that they made it. It doesn't say they, but they placed it. It's really interesting over here. If you look again, next paragraph where it's lower. It never says to build it. Literally, that the Urim Vatumim are something which is either a divine secret or it's something which was given by heaven. And it's re- re- really, again, as you're reading all these things, you know, you'll make this, you'll make this, you make this, and you kind of think this must be the same thing. And he's not saying that. He's saying, no, the Urim Vatumim are just a completely different thing. So, as I said, that, that is a really interesting comment by the, by the Ramban. And clearly, you see, he goes on and on. So there's a lot more to but say. There's a lot more to say about right. this. Look, he says they never made it. that's what he says. Doesn't mean they didn't have it. He just says they didn't make it. Now let's get back to the word that you asked about before, and that was ritsui, right? This idea of uh, which is really what the tzitz was for. There's a there's a discussion about the tzitz. Does it work only if he's wearing it, or what if he's not wearing it, and what does the tzitz do? And the simple thing that it says is that if, again, I want to make sure that you see the. Turn a phrase that was the pasuk lamed chet again in source number one, the last pasuk that it's on his forehead. aronet avon hakadashim right, What does that mean? Avon hakadashim and hashem. So it creates ritzui even when there's something that had gone wrong. Ritzui means acceptance, divine acceptance. So now look at just in order to argue, <laughs> this is really what it means. This is, that's really towards the beginning of the parsha. Towards the end of the parsha, we have the same concept coming up another time, and it's said so quickly. And it's the end of the parsha; you don't pay attention to it, and it's only you have to pause and say, "What did they say?" And then you say, "Oh, that was really interesting." And let's just read at the end of the parsha now. Source number twelve. 
Victira lav aron ktorit samim baboka baboka betivo nerot yaktirena. Uvalot aron et anerot ben arbaim yaktirena ktorit tamim lufnei Hashem l'dorotechem. Lot elav ktorit zara veola umincha venesechlo tishu alav, which all seems to be like random kinds of things, and then vechiper. This is the end. Vechiper aron al kornatav achad b'shana. And he should bring about a kapara on the karnot of the mizbeach once a year. Midam chatata kipurim achat b'shana. Yechaperer lev ledorotechim kodesh kodeshim ulashem. What in the world is he talking about? So if you look at Rashi, achat b'shana yom kipurim. Oh, there's yom kippur. Shenemar it says veitzei mizbeach asher lefnei Hashem vechaperer lev. Now. What's the purpose of the par and the seir and Yom Kippur to bring about kapara from tuma of the mikdash and Uktoshav? So now, we, especially in a post-temple world, we imagine Yom Kippur today to bring about forgiveness for us, right? We sin, please forgive us, and let's have a good year, right? Yom Menoraim. The, the problem is, and now you just saw Rashi on that post, because I know these Yom Kippur, and, but, but there's an aspect of Yom Kippur that it's focusing on, and that aspect of Yom Kippur is not, is not about us. Look at source 14 now, because I'm reading now straight from Yom Kippur. I'm reading from Parshat Acharimot. You should bring about Kapara for the Kodesh from all of the tomb of Bnei Yisrael. Which means, essentially, part of what we need to get forgiveness for is when we messed up with the Mishkan. The Mishkan is something which is holy, and we may have turned the Mishkan into something which was not holy. We may have done things in the wrong way, and for that, we need forgiveness. For that, we need... If you misuse the Mishkan, the Mishkan now is misused. So now what? How do you move forward further? Now now think about what it said about the tits. Oh, you did something in the wrong way. You brought something between ah, oh, it's okay. It creates read story anyway. Which means, you know, as opposed to what we saw from the very beginning, what's the the tits is the intellect. This is not this is not no, this is Kodush Lashem. That that part is true. It's Kodush Lashem. It's like this you can pull out like this ace, right? Or this uh right this get-out-of-jail-free card, it just changes everything. You did something wrong, but no, Kadush Lashem. It's as if there's this overwhelming, some see this in terms of the machshava, that the Kohen Gadol can have this overwhelming machshava that everything should be tahor, right? Directly Lashem, and then even if we messed up along the way, it makes it work anyway. It's, it's, it's like this macro consideration, even though we may have messed all along on all of the micro. But if you go and continue reading about, about Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is a dual holiday. On the one hand, it's to fix something which is Kadosh, which is the Mishkan. On the other hand, it's to fix something which is Kadosh, which are people. Which means, <laughs> what is sin? Sin is when we brought about we brought about impurity in ourselves. He brought out impurity in our hearts, impurity in our minds, impurity in our actions, and we need forgiveness for all of this. But one of the things we need forgiveness for is that we brought impurity in something that was supposed to be pure and that was supposed to bring about forgiveness for all the things, and that is we messed up the thing that was supposed to fix. We messed up ourselves, we messed up our souls, we messed up the Mishkan, we messed up the Beit HaMikdash. So Yom Kippur really is a day to fix that. And when you realize this is articulated at the end of the parsha, and now you go back to the tzitz there towards the beginning of the parsha, you hopefully are not going to misunderstand what the tzitz was about. This is about to bring about tahara 
even in a place where there could have been Tumah, and bring about Ritsui, where God is going to accept our Avodah, even a place that there isn't. And you realize I had to work hard to do all of that, and it would have been much easier just to talk about the Tzitz and the Choshen in this, uh, in this uh, Das Torah kind of way, but what can we do? That e- e- even though we're very, very inspired by Raf Salvechik, we take... Um, we take solace in the fact that I think he moved far away from this talk as well. And uh, by the way, others didn't. Even the Jewish Observer, actually, in, in the late nine, in the early nineties, published a part of that talk and arguing in front of Das Torah. And I can just imagine, you know, he didn't bother writing a letter to the editor. Listen, I moved away from that talk and whatever. But it's interesting. Like one of the few things that they ever published from him was his uh, his talk on Das Torah and his uh, eulogy for Chaim Moser. Again, it, it really is wonderful and it's beautiful, it, but there, I'll say it again, we live in an age where there's some judicial overreach, there's some overreach in that as well, and uh, we need to be careful about that also. doesn't mean, Rav Lichtenstein has a really interesting article about Das Torah, and he says, listen, it doesn't mean the rabbis have the ability that some people think, but on the other hand, if you respect religion, then you should discuss things with your rabbis. Again, it doesn't mean that they have that ability, but maybe they, maybe nonetheless, knowing lots and lots of Torah is going to be able to give great insight as well. Again, don't, don't overstate it. Understand what it is, and uh, we, we we do need to consult. But we need to know why we're consulting and how we're consulting. Again, as you said, not instead of the doctors, but sometimes it could work very well in conjunction. Shabbat shalom.